Hi, I'm Dennis Sheeran. And I'm Raymond Steinmetz from the Instant Relevance Podcast. And we're part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Coming up on episode 66 of Podcast PD, we discuss what students are saying about how to improve American education. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you're going to have more fun with AJ Bianco, Stacey Lindis, and me, Chris Nessie. Let's start the show. What is going on, Podcast PD? We are running short staff today. Stacy is on special assignment. So it is just me, Chris Nessie, at Mr. Nessie on Twitter, and my podcasting compadre, AJ Bianco. What's going on, buddy? It's I, Christopher. So glad we can have this opportunity to, uh, I guess, go, what are we going, one-on-one? Is this, this is a one-on-one? We're missing, we're missing our... Uh, our I was going to queue up, maybe the boys are back in town. Ooh. <laughs> we have done this before, haven't we? We have, but... Uh, Stacy doesn't allow us to do it all that often. No, she doesn't like she doesn't like leaving us the uh, the keys to the car here. No, I think, I think <laughs> no, she's she a little nervous when she knows it's just you and I. You're also nervous because you know it's just AJ and I tonight. Anything can happen. <laughs> Last time we did this, we had voices, we had soundboards, we we went nuts. <laughs> uh, so so hey, maybe maybe we'll do part of it uh, with our voices. Yeah, let's just take it serious. <laughs> what what is new? I you were uh, recently walking among giants. Why don't you tell us about that? Walking among giants. The okay. extinct kind. I, yeah, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't really walking with them. I was more sitting around and watching them. But uh, we took the family to go see Jurassic World live tour. And uh, it was actually really enjoyable. The boys enjoyed it. The uh, dinosaurs came to life and the storyline was there. It was really it was really a lot of fun. And we went to the uh, Prudential Center, took in the show. The Rock. The Rock. Unfortunately, the devils weren't there that day, but we got to see the dinosaurs. And it was really fun. And they, they make their little tour around around the United States. So if it's in your neck of the woods, you got little kids who dig on dinosaurs, I really suggest you get going. Like for for me, for, for my wife, Jamie, we, was, we were both like, okay, it's cool. But the boys were just digging it, jumping in their chairs, getting excited. It was really a lot of fun. I'm sure there was a piece of you that was kind of like, ooh, this is, this is cool. Look, I'll be honest with you. There were some dinosaurs that were people in costume that you can see their legs, obviously. And then a couple of them were actually like robotics. And it's just cool to see the robotics, you know, and the way the dinosaurs were moving across the stage. Uh, one was a T-Rex, another was a Stegosaurus, there was a, uh, a Triceratops. And those are the, what are they called, animatronics, I guess. Yeah. And, and like they moved across the stage. And like you could definitely tell it was robotic, you know, because it was on a... It was on a um, Wait, are you stage. telling us that you could tell they weren't real? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. Dinosaurs no longer are around, but no, it was just, it was really cool. It was really fun to watch. And, and you know, the way they did a couple of the scenes was really nice. You know, if you've seen the movies, you know, we watched the movies, we watched a little Lego show that's on Nickelodeon. So this was really like our, our, uh, our middle child, our youngest son. He, this was his, this was his happiness. He's been waiting up for this for months. This was his holiday present a while that's ago. That's awesome. Now. Yeah. Way to follow through dad. Here we go. <laughs> I'll give Jamie all the credit on this one. She found it. We ordered the tickets. Of course she did. Groupon in full effect. Of course she did. Go, Jamie. <laughs> She's always got the ideas. That's true. I got one myself. What, Not here? an idea. Somebody who comes up with the oh, ideas. I thought you had something good. Like, this, this is what we're stuck with. This is why we need Stacy to run point. Yeah. You got nothing. <laughs> Speaking of nothing, I, I have nothing interesting going on. Uh, you know, uh, the, the most exciting thing, as I told you before we hit record, was I took my boys to get haircuts today, and we all got to go at the same exact time, which was good for child management out in public. See, that is wonderful, because when we do the haircuts together, like it, we, we, we use the same barber, same guy. You know, we love him. Happens to be my mother-in-law's neighbor. But, uh, you know, I'll go, and then one of them will go, and then the next one will go. And it's like 45 minutes that we're there waiting. You know, sometimes the phone comes in play, or I'm reading like these ridiculous books that are on the side. So good for you for getting everybody in the chairs at the same time. In and out, it, it minutes. luck of the draw, luck of the draw. That's wonderful. <laughs> First available stylist. 
<laughs> just cut it. Just go. Just cut it. And, and it's easy because I tell them we're all getting the same thing. One on the sides, fade to a two, scissor cut on top. There you go. It's perfect. It is perfect. It's like, Boys are looking good. That's I'm sure they are. That's all that matters. Well, you, you know, awkward transition is only I can do. Speaking of what matters, you have kids. I have kids. Some of them are in school. You know, Caitlin is not in school yet, but eventually she will be. Mm-hmm. What is up with American education? <laughs> what are we doing in this country, AJ? We ask that question every day and we actually show up there, right? Like, yeah. What are we doing today that we can ruin kids' lives? Um, <laughs> no, but no, in all seriousness, like the way we're going to tackle this today in case we don't get to this and we don't mention this, we are going to look at an article we stumbled upon and it's from December of 2019 and it's in the New York Times. Credit where credit's due. You found this article. Okay. I'll take the credit. That's cool. I mean, appreciate that. But uh, the New York Times and the Learning Network uh, came with an article, uh, what students are saying about how to improve American education. And this article, uh, I guess prior to this article, let me set this up. What happened was the New York Times set out a survey that it asked other students to fill out. And it took the data from the survey and kind of just broke it down to the top 10 uh, biggest issues that students experience in their classrooms and their schools you know on a daily basis so this is not about teachers this is not about adults this is the kids who are actually the major st- stakeholders and, and and what they feel needs to change so you know when we look at this i think the list for those of us who are really engaged and connected and the ones who are really trying to make this education reform happen for us we look at this list and go yeah of course duh but i think it's better for the people who are in the public who don't recognize this or who are still stuck in the old ways of what education should be. Would you agree with that, Chris? Absolutely. I, again, there there are some days where, even in my own classroom, I feel guilty that maybe my classroom or the lesson, it's taking place in 2020, and it could have been, I could teach the same thing in 1920. But I think what's valuable here is it's the perspective of students. You know, this is the equivalent of pick a big company and they go out and they do market research where they survey their customers or their potential customers to find out, you know, what or how we can earn your business. The problem is we have compulsory education in this country. So whether the kids want the business or not, they're going to school. I I think a lot of what we're going to share and talk about is even for me, as I read through this, uh, since you shared it. And then again, to prep for this conversation, some of it does make me stop and think and question you know some practice and then i think that's that's a good point i did i did sit there and, and have some some wow moments you know and and you did mention like what's my lesson like what does it look like what does the classroom look like but you know i think the same point the traditional the traditional way of teaching should not die we still need that in some situations so we can't compare you know just because it's 2020 we should continuously be innovative some kids don't need that you know some kids actually need that traditional education so while this tackles you know, a lot of the ideas, um, you know, let, let me shift for a second. Cause I just thought of this. I don't know how I feel about the fact that it's the New York times who run this survey. When I really feel like it should be our schools who are doing a survey like this. Well, you know, funny, you should say that as we sit here recording this on March 1st, my social studies department, myself and a colleague, we, in our common planning time, our weekly CPT meetings, we brought up And we were, uh, I guess, forthright or we were forward thinking and like we should survey our students in our social studies classes because this year in my department, we've been looking a lot at project based learning versus skills based learning and really how we're doing social studies at the school I teach in. And we came up with a survey that over the last couple of days we distributed to students and we're hoping to get back all, you know, 2000 plus kids in the building, ninth through 12th grade to give us feedback on now, this is very small, uh, their experience taking social studies classes at the high school I work at, you know, where we're asking them for, you know, anonymous feedback, you know, like or, you know, agree, disagree, strongly disagree, stuff like that. Um, but we're asking them about, you know, what skills have, do they think they've acquired? Um, what topics do they like in history? So I can say that I'm ironically or timely doing this. How are you getting? How are you getting them to do this? Are they doing it in class? Are they doing it at home? Technically speaking, we created it using Google Forms, super convenient, and many of the teachers in my school and department leverage Google Classroom. So, 
teachers are distributing it through Google Classroom. Uh, I, because I teach ninth graders and I don't know what they're going to do when they're not in my classroom. I just took two days, last 10 minutes of class. Hey, take this survey. Boom, done. So it took me two days, got it done. Um, and I just, I, I actually, you know, let me go a little house of ed tech here. I used in Chrome, there's a share to classroom Google Chrome extension. So I pulled up the survey on my screen and then at that 10 minute mark in each class, I just pushed it to my students on our uh, district managed Chromebooks. Any incentives for the kids who, who take it or since it's anonymous, it's just, thank you for doing it. This is a great feedback going forward. Well, it, it starts out here, Here's why I do something that's old school. I said, I'm going to give you a survey with 10 minutes left in class. You're going to take the survey, <laughs> do it, be honest. It's anonymous. When you're done, we're done for the day. That works. You know, you, you want the data. So you have to get, you have to get them to complete the data. So that's fine. I don't think if you say old school, it's, it's something you want them to do. It's something that they, that you appreciate them doing and something that's going to help them in the, in the long run. And, and I also phrase it to them as this will help shape these courses. One, the ones you're going to go into over the next three years. Cause again, I'm, I'm teaching freshmen and I say, this will help the kids coming behind you who are going to come to the high school. So we, we value your opinion. Have you read, have you read anything yet? Have you read any of the I, data? What are you surprised by? Um, I was actually surprised by, there were a lot of students. One of the questions we asked was, you know, again, agree, strongly agree, disagree, that, that type of answering. Uh, one of the points was about, you know, I feel successful when the teacher leads the instruction. So the teacher is basically everything opposite of what we say, you know, mm-hmm. let's make it student centered. And right now over a little over 300 kids have taken this and the it's, it's kind of 50, 50. Half about one fifty or so believe I like it when the teacher is in control, and about the other half I like it when I'm more in control. That's that's really interesting. I think that's really powerful to um, to see how students think about that, especially when you know we focus so much on the student centered uh, student centered learning as the focus. But I think a lot of kids still like that traditional way of tell me what I need to know, give me the test, let me get the grade, see when I graduate. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I would say in the next couple of episodes that we record, I'll bring more to the table on this survey. and We can maybe go a little deeper with it. I like it. So with that in mind, let's take a look at uh, this article. Let's go deep with this and let's take a look at the top 10 ideas that our students are telling us that American education needs to change. The first thing, uh, again, these are headlines in the article. And again, we will have this linked in the show notes out of podcastpd.com slash 66. So first one is put less pressure on students. And the way this article is set up for those who are going to go read it, or maybe if you don't read it and you're just going to take our word for it, you have these headers that we're going to go through. And then they have maybe three or four students quoted from different high schools from various parts of the country, giving their thoughts on these topics. Uh, So AJ, why don't you take the quote that we pulled out here from Stephanie Cueva, who attends high school in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. All right. So Stephanie says, as she, again, the headline here is put less pressure on students. She says, as a freshman and someone who has a tough home life, I can agree that this is one of the main causes as to why I do poorly on some things in school. I've been frustrated about a lot that I'm expected to learn in school because they expect us to learn so much information in such little time that we end up forgetting about half of it anyway. The expectations that I wish that my teachers and school have on me is that I am only human and that I make mistakes. Don't make me feel even worse than I already am with telling me my low test scores and how poorly I'm doing in classes. That's a tough one. <laughs> feel for her. Not tough to not. Yeah, you, you feel for her because, again, we're both, you know, compassion educators. I mean, yes, as teachers, sometimes you have to have a tough conversation with a student about how they're doing. Um, but I've actually just consumed some content recently about, and we all realize this, you know, you don't know what everybody's going through or dealing with or what goes on behind closed doors, what they're doing when they're not in school. Um, I I know with students I work with, I got kids in my school that they got full-time jobs. They're working till, you know, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, some later than that, or they're getting up early and they're helping, you know, their family and school is the last thing on some kids' minds, not because they don't care, 
but because they got other actual important things to worry about on par that, you know, adults have to worry about. And you feel bad that you're a kid and you got to worry about adult stuff. Right. And we focus so much on the fact that kids are going to school because they want the grades to go to college. This person, she may not be wanting to go to college one day. Maybe she can't go to college. Maybe she's just getting the education so that she's done and she gets, you know, her, her, her diploma where she can find something, you know, that, that will take care of her family. Maybe college is not an option for her right now. And, and her home life kind of dictates that from what it sounds like. But when we tell kids in school that, oh, the grade, the grade, the grade, the grade, who cares about the grade? It's just a number. This kid is going to school. Maybe it's because they're giving her a hot meal in the morning and she's there for lunch and she's out of the cold in the winter. You know, these are things that we constantly see and the things that are always posted. But at the same point, we kind of ignore because a lot of us, it doesn't, doesn't affect us. You know, this is coming right from the mouth of a student who is struggling, you know, and, and their home life is difficult. And then coming to school is even more difficult because it is kind of her focus of, I can't do this. I'm struggling and I'm struggling even more every time you tell me I, I'm, I'm failing. Yeah. It's like, you know, don't, don't kick them while they're down. And you also have it in here. What I pick up on is, you know, what some of the expectations are, you know, what, what kind of pressure is, are other students feeling? You know, those who have the quote-unquote good home life. You know, it sounds like wherever this is, you know, I don't know if it's King of Prussia High School, but, you know, somewhere in Pennsylvania, you know, what what are the expectations we're putting on students? You know, don't treat them like robots, you know. And it sounds like legitimately this girl really wants to make sure that she does well. You know, she says she is frustrated. You know, she she wants to do well. She just can't. So, you know, maybe we're missing the point here that, her teachers are just pressuring her and giving her expectations, but they're not really leading her to find a way to get those expectations, to find that balance between home, school, and, and career readiness. Maybe the expectations on this student and students like her are not the right expectations. And, and that doesn't mean lower them, but what's achievable? You know, I, again, we brought him up a bunch of times, but I, I know Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk has brought up recently about you know, his high school experience and he's been flashing his report card on social media where he's got, you know, D's and F's look at him now, hmm. you know, how, how do we help the student who is 150 out of 160, but you know, isn't dumb or stupid, but school doesn't meet their needs. School doesn't meet their needs. College won't meet their needs. Maybe they want to trade, you know, forgetting about trades and, and how important that is. You know, maybe this girl, maybe there's something else for her out there. Maybe she's going to create her own clothesline or, or maybe she's an actress or, or a singer. And like, maybe that's what she wants to do. And that's her focus. But school was not going to get her to that point. At least not in the traditional sense. Correct. All right. Let's go to the second one. I think this is one that's right up your alley. So I'll read the headline here and you can take it. And uh, it says, use less <laughs> technology in the classroom or more. Okay. So I host the House of Ed Tech, Mr. Nessie, Chris Nessie, education technology, tech, tech, tech. No, I'm not. That's not what I'm completely all about for anybody who's listened to house of ed tech that's what the house of ed tech thought is for and i've done episodes and talked about you know paper and pencil um so i i can see where these kids are coming from so one that we want to focus on this is emma thoracal from glenbard west high school in illinois and emma says quote kids nowadays are always on technology because they are heavily dependent on it for the purpose of entertainment and education. Instead of pondering or thinking for ourselves, our first instinct is to Google and search for the answers without giving it any thought. This is a major factor in why I think American students' test scores haven't been improving because no one wants to take time and think about questions. Instead, they want to find answers as fast as they can just so they can get the assignment or project over with. I love that. You know, as, as the social studies teachers here... You know, I think that idea of continuously having them think critically to find answers on their own, to analyze primary and secondary sources. You know, I think this is this is like our wheelhouse. This is what we continuously preach to our students that, you know, don't just ask me a question that you can Google, you know, think about an answer, find a way to figure it out with your people around you. You know, that whole ask three before me, find a way to figure it out. Don't just look it up and, and really like get into the analysis and the critical thinking and, and, and that research-based uh, approach. Well, I mean, I, I got to say, I think technology is something that has definitely, 
I think has had a really big impact on social studies as a subject. You know, when I was in middle school and high school, there was no Google. I had a textbook. I carried it back and forth. You wanted to know something. There was no go look it up. You had to memorize stuff. And that's what teaching social studies was. You got kids to memorize. I didn't do critical thinking in social studies. I didn't do Mm -mm. DBQs Mm -mm. in social studies. And now as a teacher of social studies, and we've seen this on social media, you know, a bad question is one that students can just Google. If you can Google the test question and find the answer, it's a bad test question, you know? So first, that's where technology is good. It, it pushes us as social studies teachers. And, and I think technology pushes all educators. But I think, and this is seen in a bunch of the other quotes, is maybe we do need to use a little less technology. And I sit here and I will admit out loud, I am super guilty of I've got Chromebooks in my classroom and my kids are using their Chromebooks almost every single day. Because, you know what? I don't even know, really. I, I don't have a good justification. As I mean, I put everything in Google Classroom. They're typing. They're researching. So I'm promoting critical thinking with the types of projects and things that they're doing. Um, but maybe I'm being stubborn because I don't have any copies of the textbook in my classroom. Hmm. I didn't get them. Somebody was in my room the other day looking for it. And I was like, or, or he was like, wait, you, oh, that's right. You didn't even take the book this year. And I didn't. I don't use it. So that's the resource, you know, having the Chromebook. So I was the same way, you know, my, my classroom, I didn't have, I had the textbook hidden. I had them only because they were in the classroom already and I wasn't going to get rid of them because it's not allowed. Right. So I had them hidden behind, behind walls, behind curtains and all this stuff in case somebody actually needed it for something that they couldn't just do with the computer. Um, with the computer, when you talk about the fact that you use computers every day, why do we use them so much? I think a lot of people now come to the point where like, okay, I have technology in my classroom. I really need to be using it. I really need to figure out the best way to you know, introduce students to technology. So whether it's something small through a slideshow or even through a creation on a Google Doc, you know, I think people sit there and say, I need to do something. And then that's when we get caught up with the use of Edpuzzle too much or the use of just creating projects for kids to create and we just don't have like a, a, a reason to do it, you know? So I know I was guilty of that uh, three years ago when I had the Chromebooks for the first time. I was like, I got to use technology more and more, 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 more. And it took away from a lot of the direct instruction on my part. So, you know, I was using it too much, shifted back to, you know, a, a happy place. But, you know, I think we have to remember that our kids use technology all the time and we continuously say to them, Let's meet them where they are. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe we push too much with the Instagram, push too much with Twitter, push too much with TikTok, push too much with all these different mediums where we have kids uh, find information. Maybe we just need to just give it to them. Just here it is. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Do your work. You know, <laughs> Enjoy your night. Don't worry about the Instagram. I'm not going to post tonight. Don't worry about Google Classroom. I won't post anything after 4 o'clock. You know, I think that's where people get caught up. That They feel like they have this... 24-hour access to students that they should use it for the best part of a student's life. Well, now here's where I don't think I fit what you just said in that I use the tech in the room. I'm not inundating my kids Mm -hmm. outside of class time. Right. Of course. Again, of course I don't give homework and I, I know there's a lot of teachers who don't, but I'm not constantly communicating or giving my, I'm not giving my students a reason to be in Google classroom outside of school. Or work on things outside of the classroom. So maybe teachers like me are the exception to this issue where for the 80 minutes I have you, yeah, we're going to use technology. Um, I don't know how I would utilize the 80 minutes if they didn't have the tech. I mean, sure, I could come up with something, you know, if the internet was down on a given day or we had a power outage or something ridiculous. Um, But that's not what I'm actively planning for, you know. Yeah, and I wasn't saying that you fit that mold there, but I think like if you look through our Twitter feeds, we see all these schools that are posting that we're trying to keep our, our the knowledge out there for our kids so much. You know, instead of just giving information to the families or instead of just showing what we're up to, I think a lot of people continuously think, well, I need to make sure that my students are looking at this because don't forget your homework tomorrow. You know, you got to make sure you do it. Don't forget your test on Friday. You got to make sure you study. 
You know, so I think that that's, that's more of what I mean by saying that people are constantly putting the information out there. Or here, here based on the season we're in, again, we're, again, in New Jersey, we're closer to the end of winter than being right smack dab in the middle of it. And we know all around the country that have gotten snow. You got districts that are, you know, super patting themselves on the back of, you know, we've got snow day learning and, you know, our kids can use their Chromebooks on snow days. Hey, how about we just give the kids a freaking snow day and let them have the day off, right? Go let them I mean, shovel. Go let them be entrepreneurs for a day. Let them shovel. Let, they, them, let them hang out for a little bit. Let them go sledding. Sl- what a novel concept. Fun, right? Fun. Sleep in, wake up, and just do nothing. You know, we talk about that when we talk about creativity. Sometimes you have to do nothing. Put the screen away. Do nothing. Go daydream. Sounds like fun. And, and, and you know what? Last time I checked, I don't daydream when I'm looking at my phone. That's a good way to think about that. Do you daydream when you look at your phone? Probably not. No, I'm just looking at my phone aimlessly. Aimlessly, but not, but your mind isn't so empty that you can actually let it wander. My mind's pretty empty. (laughs) There you go. Um, All right. So this next one, this is a good one because it's a question that comes up quite a lot in, I don't know, a lot in math. But the headline part of this is prepare students for real life. AJ, what did Bella Parada have to say? So Bella, who is from Kent Roosevelt High School, no location given, she says, I am frustrated about what I'm supposed to learn in school. Most of the time, I feel like what I'm learning will not help me in life. I'm also frustrated about how my teachers teach me and what they expect from me. Often teachers will give me information and expect me to memorize it for a test without teaching me any real application. Real so, quick, this is in yeah. Kent, Ohio. Oh, oh, okay. There you go. Kent, Ohio. Thank you. So I think this is pretty powerful when you think about it. Her response here really connects to the last two we talked about with expectations and meaningless instruction. The four verbs of my classroom are create, communicate, collaborate, and critically think the four C's. Did you make that up yourself? I, you know, I feel like I did. And then there's a lot of people making money off of the four C's and stuff like that. But I really think it was something that came out of my brain independently. Are you going to tell me differently? Cause you got a big smile on your face. No, I just, I, I see it all over the place. Is why I said <laughs> that. So I'll give you credit for it. I feel like I've been saying it since like 2008, you know, anyway, um, but those are the verbs in my classroom. You know, I tell kids on day one, it's not about history. I'm not here to make you better at playing Jeopardy. You know, if you can create, communicate, collaborate, and critically think, it doesn't matter what you want to do in the world. You could do these four things well, you'll find success. Whether or not you can remember what happened in the Enlightenment doesn't mean a damn thing. But if you can play well with others, create things, Think when there's a problem presented to you, you can communicate effectively. You can express your ideas. That's what I want my students to be able to do. Not pass a midterm or a final or, you know, a chapter test. It's not what it's about. Last time I checked, AJ, when's the last time you took a true false exam? True false exam. Or you did fill in the blanks. Yeah, I think I think the last time I did that maybe was for the uh, principal test. I think I did something <laughs> like that. There was a question there. But like, again, nonsense, nonsense testing. But no, I can't, I can't recall a, a true false or fill in the blank test. that was actually helpful for anything. There you go. <laughs> and I, I really can't debate this one because we talk about the four C's. That, that was my classroom too. And that was my ideas. Not that I, I, maybe I took it from you. Who knows? Whoever, whoever came up with it. Geniuses. What, 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 no, no. What, what's that thing that, uh, that Jake Miller talks about the adjacent, adjacent possible where two people will have. The same idea, something like that. Yeah, thank, no, thank I, you, Jake. It's no. Jason Possible. That, that's fine. I, I I was the one who actually thought about the little wheelies in the bottom of the shoes. I just never came. Up, I just never went out there and got a patent <laughs> for it. But I was thinking about it when I was rollerblading when I was in eighth and ninth grade. So, whoever came up with that idea, that was mine first. So I'll, I'll give you the four C's for right now. But I, I can't. I can't disagree. You know, because that's what that's what all of our classrooms should be, and it shouldn't just be socially related. It should be all classrooms because. The big part here that that stands out to me, honestly, is that teaching any real application. 
you know, I think when we come up with our assessments, we come up with our lesson plans, anything we do for our students, there has to be something to it that's important for our students, not just walking away because I need you to know this. It's part of the standard. So can you make sure you understand this, please? And you know, there are teachers who tell their kids, you have to know this for the test. Yeah. And, and that, we're, I mean, we're getting there. That's like the next topic. But <laughs> Right. But whose test? Whose test, though? It's their test. You need to know this from my test. I'm going to give you a grade. Just give them a grade anyway. Just give them a grade. Yeah. All right. So since you brought it up, let's go to the next one. And the next one comes from Carter Osborne of Hogard High School in Wilmington, North Carolina. He says, eliminate. What, what's the topic? I'm going to. I'm telling you right now. All right. Okay. He says, <laughs> eliminate standardized tests. Let's hear from Carter, Chris. Carter says, teachers will revolve their whole days on teaching a student how to do well on a standardized test, one that could potentially impact the final score a student receives. That is not learning. Now, I, Chris, am going to repeat that part again. That is not learning. That is learning how to memorize and become a robot that regurgitates answers instead of explaining why or how that answer was found. If we spent more time in school learning the answers to those types of questions, we would become a nation where students are humans instead of a number. I like these kids. I, I want to high five all of these, all these youngsters. This is really great. And I, and I wish we could sit here and say, you know, great idea, Carter. Let's get rid of the standardized test. And unfortunately, it's, it's never going to go away. You know, in New Jersey, we talk about the fact that we had the park and it was uh, X amount of percentage for uh, the staff who... Um, the staff who gives the test. So I think back in the day, it was teachers. a larger number. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, the teachers who give the test. I was saying staff because it could be anybody. You know, some people are judged differently. So I know earlier on, it was a larger number than what it is, but now it's 5%. So the grade the kids get, 5% goes towards teacher evaluation for that year. And you could be struggling with a student. Which is still 5% too much, but Right, right. And you're sitting there with a student who just sitting there, put his head down, click, 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 click. Okay, I'm done. Wait, the test is an hour. You finished in three and a half minutes. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. And that poor <laughs> teacher can't control that. But 5% of, of how they do in their job depends on how the kid feels about taking a test. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous. It, it, part of what, what, what it says here is also, you know, it, instead of regurgitating, we should be explaining why and how. I will just... Give me one second to speak from on high. I don't like explaining why and how in math. As Mr. Incredible said, math is math. When did they change math? Miles, my eight-year-old, they, they try to get him. You know, he's in second grade. Explain how you got your answer. His answer is, I did the math. Eight, four plus four is eight. That's the answer, you know? <laughs> and I understand but, that. And I look at a lot of these textbooks that the schools are using these days and the ones that are like being introduced constantly with these math textbooks. And I don't mean to just bang on math because you know, teachers can't help it, but these textbooks are presenting. And this is ridiculous. They well, present. We, we, we bang on math because math is one of the two standardized right. tested subjects. Correct. So correct, correct. math is so, going to take a hit so, here. So, so this ahead. is not a negative to the math teachers. This is not your fault. You're not the one creating this. But when we think about math, these textbooks are introducing different strategies for our students. It's not one strategy anymore. There are two, three, four different strategies, five different strategies that our students can use to solve a problem. And then when it's test time, the test says use, let's say, strategy number three to solve this problem. Maybe the kid wasn't good at strategy three. Just give them the way to solve it, the way that we have solved it since the beginning of time. Two plus two. Don't tell me to add the two, take a one, put it in a, in a box, put the box around a number, draw a circle, square around Cut that, out my manipulatives. And, see many, <laughs> and see how many people walk across the room. That's how you figure out the math problem. And use a number line. Thank you. My wife chimed in. She heard math. Her ears perked up. <laughs> memorize your times tables, kids. You want to memorize something? Memorize some math. Memorize a formula. But then let's practically apply geometry. You know, make the kid design a kitchen that's where geometry served me fit the cabinets on the wall <laughs> 90 degrees is it square is it out of level follow the bubble but that's where i mean you'd be looking at a school that was very and authentically cross-curricular you know i i look around in my school sometimes and it's like all right hey we need this couldn't we get the shop kids to build it huh what a novel idea 
if you if you even work in a school that still has that type of education, you know, for the vocational and the mm-hmm. uh, industrial arts, as they say. And those are dying, so you can't even say that that's possible anymore. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, AJ, you you have young kids like me. I have thought in my head, I can't wait to write the opt out letter. I don't want my kid to have to worry about the standardized test. And here's the problem, though. We in, in New Jersey, I, I don't know about other states. I'm just focusing on New Jersey because this is the big thing, and what my what my role this year is kind of focused on. You know, as the supervisor doing these different things, there are now graduation requirements, so we can't even have the kids opt out anymore. Because if they opt out, there's a chance that they could miss out on a specific requirement and then have to take a class over or test over, which puts them in a terrible situation. So, it, like, that forces you to stop the opt-out. And I don't think I would have my kids opt-out as much as I hate standardized tests. I mean, big capital letters, hate. I don't think I'd have them opt-out because I wouldn't want to put them in a situation where the teacher looks down on them or other students are looking down on them. I think sometimes maybe it is good to just practice the skills. But now with these new graduation requirements that are rolling out after 2022, who knows what's going to come come down the line even more so. And, and it bothers me so much because right, this whole but, but thing those would be, test. Go ahead. No, say, but, but those would be like the standardized test you're taking in high school where you got like the PSAT is like you could take that and help you get out of high school. Yeah, but, it, but it's, it's, next year when my kid goes into third grade. Right. Is it just about practicing taking the test? I, I For now, yeah, because who's looking at like like the third grade data? Like I know it doesn't matter until you get to like eighth grade or that's what they say. You know, so they're showing what they're learning. But like. Some of these requirements for the NJSLA for, for high school graduation is ridiculous. They have to make them take this. They have to do this on the science. They have to meet the cut score. You know, and, and again, I am not a test taker. I'm an awful, awful test taker. So for me, if I froze, then what happens? You know, let's say I'm on my last line. I'm in 11th, uh, 10th grade because they don't do the 11th grade. I'm in 10th grade. I need this test to, to allow me to go forward. I'm taking it again next year. What if I freeze? I still remember sitting in my tenth uh, grade math class for the New York State Regents exam in the middle of the summer, profusely sweating because I couldn't remember the formula, and I knew if I didn't pass this test, I don't get my Regents diploma. What does my Regents diploma do for me? I don't know. Still got into gra- still got into college. Still graduated college. Still have a job today. But I was panicking that day, sweating profusely. The teacher came over and said, "Are you okay?" I can't remember. I'm sorry. Is that what you sounded like, AJ? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I probably got a little nervous. <laughs> but no, that's a valid point. I mean, who did we talk? Uh, Emma. Emma, Emma. Tough home life. Tough home life. Right? Th- things going on outside of school. Does Emma care about standardized tests? Probably not. Uh, or students like that who are dealing with other things in their lives. But again, these are the opinions of it in the article. They quote one, two, three, four students who none of them say, you know what? Let's have some more A, B, C, D, and E. None of them said that. Uh, what, 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 I'll go with one more. William here says, uh, in private school, students have smaller class sizes and more resources for field trips, computers, books, and lab equipment. They also get more, quote-unquote, hand-holding to guarantee success because parents who pay tuition expect results. In public school, the learning is up to you. You have to figure stuff out on for yourself, Solve problems and advocate for yourself. If you fail, nobody cares. It takes grit to do well. None of this is reflected on a standardized test score. These are 15-year-olds, folks. 15-year-olds. Yeah. I love it. We talk about the the intangibles. You know, if we want to bring it to sports and because Stacy's not here, we can. Uh, the flip play, Derek Jeter. That doesn't show up in the box score. Mm-mm. If you have no idea what we're talking about, go to YouTube and Google Derek Jeter, the flip. Memories. Yeah, so much of what we want students to do doesn't get reflected in these numbers. And I've been teaching 12 years. I've never been handed a standardized score report. Mostly, I mean, I teach social studies, so they're not going to give me that information. But, you know, in the last couple of years, I've done a lot with uh, they're trying to make in my school a, a true humanities department where social studies and language arts do more together. I'm still not seeing that information. Hmm. You know, we still debate, you know, what is the English teacher responsible for? What is the social studies teacher responsible for? Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not in the only school like that. 
All right. Well, while standardized tests are at one end of the spectrum, this next one, AJ, we will enjoy this one. And so will you who is listening. Give teachers more money and support. Students think we deserve more, AJ. I wonder who told him that one. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, here's uh, Anders Olson, again, from Hogarth High School, Wilmington, North Carolina. He says, the answer to solving the American education crisis is simple. Again, 15-year-old, this is simple to him. But for everybody else, it's complex. We need to put education back in the hands of the teachers. The politicians and the government needs to step back and let the people who actually know what they are doing and have spent a lifetime doing it decide how to teach. We wouldn't let a lawyer perform heart surgery or construction workers do our taxes. So why let the people who win popularity contests run our education systems? I'm going to repeat that part. <laughs> why do we let people who win popularity contests run our education systems? People who's I'm adding here, people whose only experience in education was from that of being a student. How many former teachers are in Congress, AJ? There's only a couple. There, there, there are a few. So I can't say there's no way, but we'll just say this. And, and this is not a political party bias. This is the straight news. The person who is a he the head of the Department of Education is not a teacher, never attended or sent their kids to a public school making decisions for public schools around, around the country. This is not a political thing. This is just straight fact. Straight mathematical facts. There are more public schools in this country than private schools. There are more public school students than private school students in this country. But I, but I love and I hate, I love and hate, right? The, the quote that we keep hearing, our schools are failing. Our schools are failing because right there, the government is not doing the need to do to help support the schools. The government's not doing enough to, to give the funding for schools. The government is not doing enough to embrace schools and push people towards education. The government wants to continue to judge people based on standardized test scores. The government wants people to do more and it's burning our teachers with out. less, do more with, with less. less. It's burning our teachers and out. for less and okay. for less forgot about for less. You're right. But teachers are just tired. They're not getting paid. Even those two months that they quote unquote take off in the summer is just not enough anymore. You know, then they have to worry if I take a sick day, if I take a personal day, if my family members are sick, how does that look if I'm not a tenured teacher? You know, but th these rules are in place and they're constantly, constantly pointed to and poked at and it gets people really upset with education. And, and I think that's why our schools are struggling. You know, and if you look at almost any other industry in this country and even around the world, if there is a need for improvement, people don't really think twice to pull out all the stops and invest and try and fix it. And as we just mentioned, you know, we, you got districts and, and town, I mean, people voting on budgets, you know, budgets that don't get passed referendums that don't get passed. Uh, teachers in districts where, you know, contracts don't get settled and teachers don't get raises, you know, that that's a reality. And again, we're fortunate to be in New Jersey where we, we have, and, and not to make this political and, and union stuff, but we've got a union and districts in New Jersey can negotiate and bargain. And there are districts and other States that you don't get that you get what you get and you don't get upset. But unfortunately that's not enough. Um, and if you want to kind of go a little further into how this is all set up, okay, politicians, the government, Department of Education, that's all high level stuff. I'm not saying anything negative about boards of education, but right there is a small example of you have a group of people, for the most part, not educators that are voting and making decisions that impact the students. Now, hopefully you're fortunate enough to be in a place where the Board of Education supports education, puts in place district leadership from superintendent and other people at that level who have the kids' best interest at heart. But, you know, we hear too many stories from too many places where that doesn't happen. So can you blame the New York Times for writing an article and doing the research and collecting data and going right to the stakeholders, the people who are 
I mean, if, if you and I are teachers in the trenches, where are the kids in the mud? Yeah. The, Below, I mean, these, these kids you can't are, get much lower than a student, right? These kids are standing on the first step, just taking, taking, uh, taking fire for us. Well, let's move on but to it the is next nice one. that they all believe we should, oh, I was gonna say just, just to finish up, Sorry. it's nice that they believe that we should get support as educators Yeah, from I, pay to resources. Right. I do. I do love the points that these kids are making and I, I hate to call them kids, but they're still high school kids. You know, they're, they're young, but they get it. And, and it is, it is wonderful. And I think the next one though, that we're going to talk about here, I think this is a big one, especially for, for us. You know, we, we continuously reflect on this as we are educators. And this one comes from Jonah Smith Posner uh, from J.R. Masterman. And he says, make lessons more engaging. Jonah says, the classes in which I succeed in most are the ones where the teachers are very funny. I find that I struggle more in classes where the teachers are very strict. I think this is because I love laughing. Two of my favorite teachers are very lenient and willing to follow the class's train of thought. How am I funny? Funny like a clown? Yeah. What am I, amuse you? Am I here to amuse you? <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, this is great because I think teachers forget you know, their job is to teach. And I think some people are there to think that I'm just going to teach. They forget about the relationships. They forget about the fun. They forget that the kids are in school for eight hours just as much as you are, and they don't get those periods off. We are lucky enough that we can get a period off here or there. We get a lunch, and maybe it's a duty, whatever the case may be. But these kids are struggling, taking notes. They're not the ones preparing the lessons or enjoying the content as much. They want an engaging teacher. Have some fun with your kids. Yeah, smile. Well, anybody who ever says, or if you subscribe to Don't Smile Till Christmas, you're an idiot. <laughs> smile. You, you chose this profession. Why did you choose this profession? I know why I chose it. AJ, you've expressed why you got into education. If you're miserable as a teacher, here's my opinion. It's probably your fault. <laughs> Take some blame for yourself and where you are. If you're not happy, go do something else. It's not the kids. It's not your supervisor. Yeah, those things could be a factor into your level of happiness, but you chose to be there. And if you're miserable, get out. I, I don't know how much more simple to make it. No, and this and that's what that's what it is. And it's it's up to us as the educators and the people in the building with the teachers. And I, and I take this from uh, from the guy I really love, T. Brian T. Brian Kite. I really love the fact that he has this idea of no BCD, and no BCD is blame, complain, defend. And if you're one of those people who are sitting there blaming and complaining and defending a response that you're doing, then you're 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 BCDing. And you're the one who's causing the problems for people around you. So don't sit there and blame. Don't sit there and complain. Don't sit there and defend. Oh, I just, oh, I should have, but I didn't. It's your fault if you're the person doing that. And if you stay away from the teacher's room, good for you. <laughs> stay away from the BCDers, <laughs> you know, but don't become a person that blames, complains, and defends no matter how far down the road in your education career you are at. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't defend your negative actions with a positive, you know, go through the day. If there is a problem, open lines of communication. That's where we're going to succeed. That's where we're going to have happy schools. It, it's got to be built on communication. Yes. I mean, we're all guilty of complaining, being unhappy. Do you let your kids see that? You know, is that all you're about? Is that what people know you for in your school and your building? Or I, I think people should be more shocked. If you're complaining, people should be like, oh my goodness, I never hear him or mm. her ever complain about anything. This must really be important. Mm. Right. Oh, there goes AJ again on his soapbox. <laughs> don't be those people either. Yeah, no, don't don't bring the soapbox to school. Bring solutions. Ooh, solutions. You know, how about you develop a relationship with the power with the people who make decisions, or instead of itching and moaning about stuff, you know. Get involved. Be part of the solution. Don't just complain about the problems. Because you know what? Yes, schools have problems. We've talked about a bunch of them in this episode already. Be, be a problem solver. Be a positive force. What's next? <laughs> well, I think with that one, you know, it kind of leads to the next one where we're going to talk about from Jacob Jarrett, again, of Hogart High School in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. He says, create better learning environments. The biggest issue facing our education system is our children's lack of motivation. 
People don't want to learn. Children hate school. We despise homework. We dislike studying. One of the largest indicators of a child's success academically is whether or not they meet a third grade reading level by the third grade. But children are never encouraged to want to learn. There are a lot of potential remedies for the education system. Paying teachers more. Giving the schools more funding. Removing distractions from the classroom. All of those things are good, but at the end of the day, the solution is to fundamentally change the way we operate. Jacob Jarrett, high school student, North Carolina. This, this is Can powerful. we get this kid to be the Seriously. Secretary of Education? This is, this is powerful. The kid, the kid understands, um, obviously understands, but the kid is just straight up saying that kids hate school, kids hate homework, and we're sitting there making them do X, Y, and Z just because it's part of what we need to do. Or my favorite phrase in education, and I'm being sarcastic, that's the way we've always done it. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I hate that one. I can't stand that one. No, but you're right. It would take, unfortunately, that type of shift. That's not grassroots, ground level, trenches type of stuff. That shift is, unfortunately, top down. Mm. For that to happen, you're saying goodbye to standardized tests. You're saying goodbye to. You have to say the goodbye. pressure on students. Yeah, you have to say goodbye to a lot of the things that we we can't easily just say goodbye to. Unfortunately. So what do we do? Some of the things are out of our control. You know, again, talk about teachers being on the front line. I feel like they're the ones who has to take a lot of these hits because those are the decisions that are that are made from high, high above. Not superintendents, not school boards, just high above. It's unfortunate the school boards and superintendents feel like they have to meet this criteria that's given to them every September. There's a lot in here. What, what, what Jacob says, and just so much honesty, you know, I'm, there are a lot of kids who hate school. I don't know. I honestly, I don't, I could probably think of maybe a handful in my 12 years who like homework, mm -hmm. but they were probably just pleasing their parents by doing it or pleasing me by doing their homework or just doing it because that's what they were supposed to do. Just because they're rule followers. Right. I watched my first grader do his homework. Why? Because he was told to do his homework. It takes him three and a half minutes to do his homework. Okay, so let's let's keep this train rolling. Let's go through the, to to finalize the list. So we make it our top ten, and then we're going to highlight a couple that stand out to us. We have one here that says support students' families. The next one is de-emphasize grades. Praise for great teachers is our last one. So Chris, where do you want to go? Which one do you want to tackle first? Well, I, I will quickly. I'll, I'll pull from. The one quote under supporting students' families, and this comes from a young lady by the name of uh, Melanie from Danvers. Part of her quote, many people need support to be pushed to their full potential because some people do not have the will or power to do it on their own. So if students lived in an environment where education was supported and encouraged, then, and I'm paraphrasing, children would be more interested in improving and gaining more success in school. So that's the piece as the classroom teacher. I don't know how much of an impact we have on what the students do when they're not in our classrooms. So I don't know how to address that on a, with a solution. Um, other than when a student's with me to try and foster a genuine love of learning and curiosity that hopefully they take with them through the rest of their day while they're in school and they are then compelled and inspired to take that home with them. I, I don't know what much more I can do. I think that's really all you can do. I think it's our job, again, as educators, to bring bring that, that passion for learning out in our students. And I think that's what's really going to help make that shift. All right, de-emphasizing de grades. So we have two quotes for de-emphasized grades, both coming from the same high school, Hogarth High High School in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. This school must be like biggest overachievers I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> just kidding um, but looking at the emphasizing grades one of the quotes stands out from Lila Pate um, she says and I'm just taking a part of this anxiety around school has become such a dilemma that students are taking their own life from the stress around schoolwork now this is really like the hard-hitting stuff right here this is a student acknowledging this idea of teenage suicide you know over grades 
She continues saying, you are told that if you don't make straight A's, your life is over and you won't have a successful future. Now, this this, this really hurts, you know, because I was just reading an article. Um, the, the name of it ex- um, escapes me at this moment, but it was something about along the lines of success is not a straight line. It's a squiggle. So okay. that might be the, that actually might be the exact title, but I could be a little off. And it talks about how the fact that people's success is I'm going to do this, this and this. And then they forget that all the things in between are not going to be that straight line. It really is going to be a comedy of errors, successes and failures. And it's not about like, I want to get to this point. And if I don't get to that point, well, then I guess I'll never do it. Right. And, and along along those lines, no pun intended, if they miss the mark on one of those, what they think is a predetermined, I've got to do this, this and this, if they don't do that third, this, forget it. They, they think it's over. And you've got the sad state where you've got students who have taken their own life because they missed a mark or maybe they didn't get the grade. Should we be living in a world where a child takes their own life because they didn't get an A, a B, or a C, or whatever they thought they should get? They didn't hit that goal, and they they, they choose the permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's sad. And and you know what? For a lot of these kids, too, they play that that game in their head that that they think they're supposed to do these things. And nobody actually ever told them that. Nobody told them, I expect you to go to Harvard. I expect you to get this job. I expect you to have this internship. It's just that this is what they expect from themselves, which is great. Have the high expectations all you want to, but at the same, but hold on, you've also got kids and there's plenty of them. It is an outside force putting that expectation, whether it's teachers, parents, family, the community that that does happen. That is a reality. You know, uh, kids I teach at Rutgers, I, I start every semester off by telling them it's not about the grades. Yeah, you know, Dean's List, that, okay, what's it worth? It's, it's it's worth about as much as the paper it's printed on. Graduating, you know, summa cum laude. Nobody cares about that other than that day when you've got the sash on and they mention it in the program. Summa cum laude is not helping anybody get a job. That's not going to be the difference maker. I'm not saying go out and get C's, but you know what? Don't hang your entire existence on whether or not you got an A. It's powerful, man. And, and, and again... It's our job as educators to make sure that our kids understand that there's always another option. There's always a second chance. There's always a way to climb up from, from a failure. And we have to continue to push our students and build a rapport with our students so that they feel good about the fact that, okay, I didn't do exactly what I wanted to this time around, but I'm going to get there. And I have the support from people around me who help me get to where I want to go, even though I took a step off my course. I mean, I I tell kids, if you're here for a grade, you're here for the wrong reason. (laughs) If you are here to grow and get better, you'll be fine. You know, do the work and do it well. Your grade will take care of itself. You know, I, I don't know how much this is related, but if you stare at a pot of water, it doesn't boil. You know, but if you focus on making dinner... And just do what you need to do to make dinner. Your the water will boil. You make your pasta. You throw it against the wall. Life is good. You know, don't harp on the little stuff. Do the work because again, in the end, whether you get A's, B's, or C's, you can be successful. You can do what you want to do. You can pursue your goals. So hopefully, you're instilling that in your students like we are. Mic drop. Boom. And the last one that we should focus on, as we mentioned, was this praise for great teachers. Now, Hallelujah. <laughs> now, again, we, as educators, we know that we should be focusing on the great things that are happening in our schools and we should be tweeting it and, and sharing it on Instagram and just saying, hey, look at this. But I think it, it sounds great coming from a student. So, Chris, you want to share one that stands out for you and the students here? Absolutely. So this comes from Grace Moan from J.R. Masterman. And Grace says, One of the classes that made learning easier for me was sixth grade math. My math teacher allowed us to talk to each other while we worked on math problems. Talking to other students in my class helped me learn a lot quicker. We also didn't work out of a textbook. I feel like it's harder for me to understand something if I just read it out of a textbook. 
Seventh grade math also makes learning a lot easier for me. Just like in sixth grade math, we get to talk to others while solving a problem. I like that when we don't understand a question, our teacher walks us through it and helps us solve it. There it is again, the four C's. Have them collaborate, have them communicate, have them critically think. Like We get that. But again, there's still too many educators out there who are stuck in the quote-unquote traditional ways where it's rows, lecture, work, homework, test. Yuck. If those teachers are in your building, don't criticize them, don't belittle them, guide them, coach them, help them. Because look, honestly, and, and I spoke to this many times over, when I first started my student teaching, I taught as, I, as how I learned and how I was trained in my student teaching. I gave them handouts, I went through the handout notes, we took notes, we went through a couple of slides, we took a test at the end of the week, we answered questions in the textbook, blah, blah, blah. That's what we did, all right? I woke up, I shifted, and that was earlier in my career. So I think we can help other people around us. Definitely. I mean, we've talked before on this podcast about, you know, pineapple charts and inviting people in. Just because you're not a supervisor and you can't directly influence how somebody operates in their classroom, invite people in to see the good work that you do. Or if you see somebody doing good work, talk about what you saw with other educators. Doesn't have to be on Twitter. Doesn't have to be on Instagram. Maybe this is the kind of conversations we should be having in our faculty rooms and at faculty meetings. Absolutely. That was a hell of an article you picked, AJ. Here we go. Boom. <laughs> now, honestly, I, I wanted to make sure we shared this one because when I read this, at first I didn't think anything of it because it said, you know, a student approach and I thought it was just going to be like little blurbs here and there. But then as I got into it, and I saw these quotes from these kids. Um, I really thought it was powerful and I really thought it was something that everybody should find. And, and I'm, I'm glad this was created and I hate that our schools aren't doing more of it, but hopefully, hopefully we got the shift happening. I'm going to keep saying shift over and over again. I like it. <laughs> so, you know what? That's going to do it for this episode of podcast PD. We're going to hold off on our recommendations that again, we, we've been, we both listened. We've got some good recommendations coming to you, but we're going to come at you with recommendations in episode 67. This was a lot to take in. Maybe you're going to want to go back, take notes, read the article or listen to what we said and share your point of view with us. So we'll have some feedback. Hopefully, you know, go out to podcastpd.com slash feedback. Uh, we do also want to just let you know before we say goodbye that you can help support podcast PD as an executive producer. You can support the show on a monthly or a yearly basis. Uh, we have recently streamlined this process where you can support the show uh, for either $5 a month or $50 per year. Uh, AJ, what can people get as a thank you if they want to support the show? So as a thank you, if you decide to support the show, every executive producer will receive a podcast PD sticker and monthly supporters will receive a podcast PD mug or a t-shirt after five months of support. Yearly supporters will promptly receive the mug and t-shirt and you'll all get your stickers in due time, we promise. Uh, if you're interested, hope you are, please check out podcastpd.com slash executive producers for more information. And special thanks to our current executive producer, Mr. Kyle Apt. Thank you so much, Kyle. We appreciate your support. You are helping to keep the lights on here at Podcast PD. You can connect with me on Twitter at Mr. Nessie. Feel free to also check out the House of EdTech podcast at chrisnessie.com. AJ, where can people find you? You guys can find me on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Just find me at AJ Bianco. I'll be happy to connect and learn with you there. Nice. And uh, in podcast PD tradition, say goodnight, AJ. Good night, AJ. Say goodnight, Christopher. Goodnight, Christopher. Goodnight, Good night, podcast, podcast PD. PD. Good night, Stacey. <laughs> Good night, Stacey. <laughs>Thank you for checking out this episode of Podcast PD. For links to everything that we discussed in this episode, you can visit the show notes at our website, podcastpd.com. To connect with the show on social media, we are at Podcast PD on Instagram and Twitter, and we share using the hashtag Podcast PD. To connect with Stacy, AJ, and myself, we are on Twitter at Mr. Nessie, at IRunTech, 
and at AJ Bianco. We would love to hear from you, so please go to podcastpd.com slash feedback and send us an email, send us a voice message, whatever you need to do. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with somebody that you think would get value from it. Word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast you enjoy, and we hope you enjoyed Podcast PD. We appreciate you listening, we appreciate your sharing, and we love creating this podcast for you. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.